Chapter Twenty Three of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Three. Where is the wise? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The office bell pealed out sharply on the night air a few nights after the prayer meeting, and before its tongue had ceased trembling, Dr. Douglas was on his feet, and with a speed acquired by long practice was putting himself into a condition to answer its summons. He came back in a very few moments and made rapid preparations for a walk. "'Have you far to go, and what time is it?' questioned his sleepy wife. "'It is half-past two, my dear. I am called to Mrs. Roberts.' "'Mrs. Roberts?' she repeated in surprise, and feeling quite awake. "'What is the matter?' "'Don't know. Very sick, the messenger said. But messengers are never quite sure of anything. Go to sleep again, Julia.' This is the way in which the vigils of that weary day commenced. Very little more sleep did Mrs. Douglas get. She tossed restlessly on her pillow, and remembered that it was Wednesday morning that was stealing grayly into the east, and that Wednesday evening was the one for the masquerade, preparations for which had gone steadily forward without drawback of any sort. The talk had gone forward also. It was rumored now that Mrs. Tresevant was going to wear a cunning little mask for a few minutes, just for fun. But so bewildering and contradictory had the stories grown that it was really just as well now to believe none of them, and so get through the time with as little uneasiness as possible but into the midst of the preparations had come this sound of the office bell, and who could tell what its import might be? Mrs. Douglas wondered and wearied herself with ceaseless wondering as to what was or was to be, and grew wider awake every moment. Presently she arose, having given over the struggle with wakefulness, and concluded to bend her energies toward the preparation of an early breakfast, in hope of the possible return of her husband. She waited to smooth and tuck the white draperies tenderly about her sleeping baby, and then remembering Mrs. Roberts and her wee two-year-old darling, knelt down and poured out all the anxiety of her heart for that sick mother. The breakfast was ready early and waited, the coffee became cold and was poured out, and fresh made before the doctor made his appearance, too hurried to talk or eat. Between the swallows of coffee his wife managed to learn that Mrs. Roberts was very ill, violently so. It was impossible to tell how it would terminate. There was great cause for anxiety. Yes, she was conscious, and very much agitated and alarmed, which increased the nature of her disorder. He had sent for Dr. Wheeler to counsel with him, and she must be certain to send Joseph and the carriage to meet him on the 11.20 train. It was quite impossible to say when he would be at home. He must spend all the time he could with Mrs. Roberts, and there were his other patients to look after. No, he did not think there was anything that she could do at present, except, he added with great earnestness, to pray without ceasing for her. She is in solemn need of that kind of help. This much, and then he hurried away, and the long day wore on. From time to time there came word from the sick room. Mrs. Roberts was no better. Dr. Wheeler had arrived and said everything that could be done was being done. Later in the day the wording was, She is still living. But the doctor came home no more, and it was evident that hope was slowly dying out in the hearts of the watching friends. It was the afternoon for the ladies' prayer meeting, and strangely solemn that meeting was. There was an eager fervency to the prayers that went up to God from Mrs. Tyndall's parlor, 
and the burden on all hearts was the same. Something else the people had to talk about besides the masquerade. Those who had been jubilant over it in a scoffing sort of way spoke of it in hushed voices, as if even it had been suddenly invested with a kind of solemnity, and, indeed, the solemnity of approaching death seemed to hover over every action connected with Mrs. Roberts. The day waned, and the evening long looked forward to by the pleasure-loving young ladies and gentlemen of Newton, bloomed down upon them with the pall of the death-angel overshadowing their pleasure. Many walks were taken past the mansion that they had expected to see so brilliantly lighted, but no one attempted to ring the muffled bell, and many were the glances up to the dimly lighted chamber, where they knew aching hearts were watching and dreading. Nothing hopeful had come to them for hours, and hope had well nigh died away. Toward the evening's close there came a sudden summons for Mrs. Sales. Mrs. Roberts wanted to see her immediately. Mr. Sales was engaged that evening with the other owners of the factory, and his wife sent in for Mr. and Mrs. Tyndall to accompany her to the house of sorrow. So it came to pass that those who had least expected to be guests at that house on that particular evening were the ones for whom the door swung softly open, and they entered with noiseless footsteps and no word of greeting. Mr. and Mrs. Tyndall waited in the further parlor, while Mrs. Sales obeyed the summons to the sick-room. It was the scene oftentimes repeated, yet ever new to the aching hearts to whom it comes. A white-faced, wan-eyed husband, watching now eagerly, hopelessly, for any change either on the face of the wife lying on the pillows, or of the physician bending over her. There were others present, all in that condition of helpless waiting which says so plainly, There is nothing to do but wait. Among them was Mr. Tresevant. Those about the bedside made room and motioned Mrs. Sales forward. As she came softly and stood looking down on the wan face so drawn with pain, so changed in a few hours, the sick woman's eyes unclosed and were bent fully on her. Recognizing her at once, she spoke in a low, hurried whisper, I want you to pray for me. I don't want any of the others. Mrs. Sales glanced hurriedly around. Very near her stood her pastor. She looked at him hesitatingly, almost timidly. It seemed to her so sad that she should be usurping his place, almost his solemn right. For him it would be difficult to tell just how he felt. One of the most rigid of the fanatics he had heard Mrs. Roberts call this woman but a few days before. Now as she seemed so near the valley of the shadow, it was to this fanatic that she turned for help, while he, the Christian minister, stood unheeded by. Whether he felt the painfulness of the position or not, Mrs. Sales felt it for him and hesitated. Dr. Douglas touched her arm and spoke in low tones. Do not cross her in the least, Abby. She has few quiet moments. The pulse is rising again. Then Mrs. Sales dropped on her knees. Well for her that she was in the habit of kneeling in the presence of other listeners than God. Well for her that to approach her heavenly father in prayer was as simple a thing to do as to speak to an earthly friend. Very simply, as a little child might come to someone whom it dearly loved and trusted, ascended the low-toned, soothing, yet earnest pleading petitions for the sick, trembling soul before her. She had heard enough of Mrs. Roberts' state of mind from time to time during the day to understand, in a measure at least, the nature of her needs, and these she tried to meet as simply and briefly as possible, yet with an earnestness that showed her solemn realization of the needs. 
A long, low sigh was the sick woman's only recognition of the prayer as Mrs. Sales arose, that, and perhaps a little steadying of the life-current bounding through her veins. Then they waited again in that solemn silence, the doctor from time to time administering with difficulty a few drops of some liquid standing near him. Presently he left his post and went on tiptoe to the hall, motioning Mrs. Sales to follow him. Mr. Tresevant also took this opportunity to leave the room. "'I would not stay any longer if I were you, Abby,' began the doctor. "'It will only exhaust you unnecessarily. She will not rally from the state for hours, if she does at all, and I do not think she will need you again.' Mr. Tresevant paused before them, his usually pale face much paler now. "'Is there no hope at all, doctor?' "'It is impossible to tell,' was the doctor's answer. "'If she rallies again, there may be a change for the better. I confess I see no indications of it, and have almost no hope of a favorable result.' Mr. Tresevant's sigh was almost as long-drawn and as sad to hear as Mrs. Roberts had been. "'Is there nothing that I can do here?' he asked at length. The doctor shook his head. "'There is nothing for any one to do but wait, and if she should rally, the less number about her the better. If the other change should come before morning, shall I send for you?' The clergyman bowed silently. Then the doctor went back to his patient, and they too, Mrs. Sales and her pastor, went silently down to the back parlor and made ready for their homeward walks. A curious blending of scenes that back parlor presented. The light had been turned on dimly, as if even here brilliancy might disturb the sufferer, or at least as if brightness were not in keeping with any portion of that house, and yet the room was in festive array, that sort of disordered festivity which betokens a sudden interruption in the preparations for some gaiety. There was even a pile of fancy masks lying all unheeded on one of the tables. Nobody had had time or had thought to put them out of sight. Everywhere there were traces of bright fancy toilets that had been in process of preparation. Everywhere tokens of what was to have taken place that evening had not the shadow so suddenly glided in between. Mr. Tresevant and Mr. Tyndall shook hands in silence. Both remembered the words of the former, It is my intention to spend next Wednesday evening with Mrs. Roberts unless something in Providence prevents. It was Wednesday evening, and he had spent it with Mrs. Roberts. Providence had not prevented, nay, it had called him loudly to that very scene, but she had been a very wan and frightened hostess, and there had been present other guests all uninvited. Not a word said either gentleman. The memory of that evening spent in prayer hushed in Mr. Tyndall's heart other than pitying thoughts for his pastor, and Mr. Tresevant seemed to have no words for any one, no heart left for words. There were others waiting to hear from the sick-room, and Mrs. Sales gave her hopeless message in that subdued tone in which people instinctively talk when they are within a house over which the dark-winged angel seems hovering. Then they all went out into the night and pursued their different ways. A dark, gloomy night it was, not so much as a star penetrating the heavy clouds. "'I don't see why you promised to come back,' Mrs. Tresevant said, almost sobbing, as after many questions she had succeeded in eliciting this amount of information from her husband, that if Mrs. Roberts should not live until morning, Dr. Douglas was to send for him. I'm sure I don't see the need of that. You can't make her live, and you know I'm afraid to stay alone, especially when people are dying. Dr. Douglas is always interfering. What made you promise to go? 
I could not well avoid it, he answered coldly. I can call a chambermaid to stay with you. Yes, and keep me awake and nervous all night. Then I shall have sick headache tomorrow. What is the use of it all, Mr. Tresevant? Her husband paused by the bedside and spoke in measured tones. Laura, you must remember that your husband is a minister and has duties toward others as well as toward yourself. I have no possible excuse for declining to go to a house of mourning and comfort the living, even though I cannot restore the dying. Comfort, repeated Mrs. Tresevant, turning her head on the pillow and surveying him with wide open eyes. What possible comfort can you be to the living at such a time? Mr. Tresevant groaned in spirit and answered not a word. In truth, he seemed to have no comfort to bestow on any one. Even his wife realized it, and she had felt the need of comfort under heavy affliction. Even she, perhaps, could do more toward helping the sorrowing than could he, for she presently said with a womanly little sigh, I'm sure I wish I had that poor little Freddy Roberts right here in my arms. Perhaps I could comfort him. Perhaps she could, murmured Mr. Tresevant, and I could not, neither him nor anyone else, and his heart was very heavy. In the gray sullen dawn of the rainy morning, Dr. Douglas came home. He was wet to the skin, no umbrella having appeared from the bewilderment that reigned in the house from whence he came. His wife met him at the door, and swiftly and silently helped to make him comfortable ere she asked any questions. He volunteered some, however. Out of the jaws of death. How does that sentence run, Julia? It has been in my mind during the last two hours. I never saw it so verified, it seems to me. Is she living? Mrs. Douglas asked, a quick ring of gladness in her voice. Yes, and better, I really believe. I am very hopeful. The change seemed marked, and well-nigh miraculous. Do you know, Julia, whether anyone has been praying in a special manner for her recovery? Yes, we had a little bit of a prayer meeting last evening, Jerome and Abby and Alec and Frank and I. We spoke of it afterward, that Abby seemed to cling to that thought. I think the rest of us prayed rather that she might be prepared for death. I trust the Lord has answered both petitions, the doctor said reverently. It seemed to me that somebody must be agonizing in prayer for her. She seemed so nearly gone, and suddenly the symptoms grew so hopeful. Now, Julia, if you will let me sleep just one hour, and then give me a cup of coffee, I must be back to her by that time. Mrs. Douglas vouchsafed but one remark as she brought an additional pillow. Dell would say, his ways are not our ways. My dear Mrs. Sales, don't you think that was a very strange thing for Mr. Tresevant to think of attending such a party? This question was put after Mrs. Sales' collar had canvassed and exhausted the entire subject of Mrs. Roberts' sudden alarming illness, the certainty that every one felt in regard to her death, her remarkable recovery, and the indefinite postponement of the masquerade. Then the question that in some form or other Mrs. Sales had been expecting or dreading was propounded. Do you mean it was a strange thing for a Christian to think of attending such a party? Mrs. Sales asked, with a quiet little smile, and a marked emphasis on the word Christian. Inasmuch as she knew that her caller was both a professing Christian and an invited guest at the contemplated party, this question might be regarded as a master stroke. Well, not exactly, Mrs. Vincent responded with a laugh and with a little flush on her cheek. Now, Mrs. Sales, I know you and I think differently on these subjects, and that remark is intended for me, 
Perhaps you are right. Anyway, I agree with you to the extent that I think it is just as well for clergymen to avoid such amusements. I shouldn't quite agree with you, Abby said pleasantly. If I considered a place perfectly proper and fitting for me as a Christian, I should consider it equally proper for my pastor. Why, my dear Mrs. Sales, don't you think one's pastor should be an example of peculiar propriety to his flock? An example for what, dear friend? For us his flock to follow, or to go directly contrary to? Mrs. Vincent laughed. She was a sharp little woman in most things. Perhaps you are right, she said again. Anyway, I'm glad our pastor didn't go to that party. So am I, said Mrs. Sales briskly, and I've no doubt he is. I'm glad of another thing, and that is that Mrs. Vincent didn't go. And now, dear friend, shall you and I use our influence to the utmost in quieting the talk about this affair, and Mr. Tresevant's participation in it? There have been a great many foolish and untrue things said about it, which we can silence, and in many ways we can help him. I certainly will try, Mrs. Vincent said, with serious earnestness. And Mrs. Vincent, being a power in the community, did try with marked success. End of chapter 23 Recording by Tricia G.